0: third reverie part two of reveries of a bachelor by eek marvel this librivox recording is in the public domain with a wisp of paper there are those who throw away a cigar when once gone out they must needs have plenty more but nobody that i ever heard of keeps a cedar box of hearts labeled at havana alas there is but one to light but can a heart once lit be lighted again? Authority on this point is worth something, yet it should be impartial authority. I should be loath to take in evidence, for the fact, however it might tally with my hope, the affidavit of some rakish old widower, who had cast his weeds before the grass had started on the mound of his affliction. And I should be as slow to take, in way of rebutting testimony, the oath of any sweet young girl just becoming conscious of her heart's existence, by its loss. Very much, it seems to me, depends upon the quality of the fire, and I can easily conceive of one so pure, so constant, so exhausting, that if it were once gone out, whether in the chills of death or under the blasts of pitiless fortune, there would be no rekindling, simply because there would be nothing left to kindle and I can imagine, too, a fire so earnest and so true that, whatever malice might urge, or a devilish ingenuity devise, there could be no other found, high or low, far or near, which should not so contrast with the first as to make it seem cold as ice. I remember in an old play of Davenport's the hero is led to doubt his mistress. He is worked upon by slanders to quit her altogether though he has loved and does still love passionately she bids him adieu with large tears dropping from her eyes and i lay down my cigar to recite it aloud fancying all the while with a varlet impudence that some abstemia is repeating it to me farewell lorenzo whom my soul doth love if you ever marry may you meet a good wife so good that you may not suspect her nor may she be worthy of your suspicion and if you hear hereafter that i am dead inquire but my last words and you shall know that to the last i loved you and when you walk forth with your second choice into the pleasant fields and by chance talk of me imagine that you see me thin and pale strewing your path with flowers poor abstemia lorenzo never could find such another there never could be such another for such lorenzo to blaze anew it is essential that the old fire be utterly gone and can any truly lighted soul ever grow cold except the grave cover it the poets all say no othello had he lived a thousand years would not have loved again nor desdemona nor andromache nor medea nor ulysses nor hamlet but in the cool wreaths of the pleasant smoke Let us see what truth is in the poets. What is love, mused I, at the first, but a mere fancy? There is a prettiness that your soul cleaves to, as your eye to a pleasant flower, or your ear to a soft melody. Presently admiration comes in, as a sort of balance-wheel, for the eccentric revolutions of your fancy, and your admiration is touched off, with such neat quality as respect. Too much of this, indeed, they say, deadens the fancy, and so retards the action of the heart machinery. But with a proper modicum, to serve as a stock, devotion is grafted in, and then, by an agreeable and confused mingling, all these qualities and affections of the soul become transfused into that vital feeling called love. Your heart seems to have gone over to another and better counterpart of your humanity what is left of you seems the mere husk of some kernel that has been stolen it is not an emotion of yours which is making very easy voyages toward another soul that may be shortened or lengthened at will but it is a passion that is only yours because it is there the more it lodges there the more keenly you feel it to be yours the qualities that feed this passion may indeed belong to you But they never gave birth to such a one before, simply because there was no place in which it could grow. Nature is very provident in these matters. The chrysalis does not burst until there is a wing to help the gauze fly upward. The shell does not break until the bird can breathe, nor does the swallow quit its nest until its wings are tipped with the airy oars this passion of love is strong just in proportion as the atmosphere it finds is tender of its life let that atmosphere change into too great coldness and the passion becomes a wreck not yours because it is not worth your having nor vital because it has lost the soil where it grew but is it not laying the reproach in a high quarter to say that those qualities of the heart which begot this passion are exhausted and will not thenceforth germinate through all your lifetime. Take away the worm-eaten frame from your arbor-plant, and the wrenched arms of the despoiled climber will not at the first touch any new trellis. They cannot in a day change the habit of a year. But let the new support stand firmly, and the needy tendrils will presently lay hold upon the stranger, and your plant will regain its pride and pomp, cherishing perhaps in its bent figure a memento of the old but in its more earnest and abounding life mindful only of its sweet dependence on the new let the poets say what they will these affections of ours are not blind stupid creatures to starve under polar snows when the very breezes of heaven are the appointed messengers to guide them toward warmth and sunshine and with a little suddenness of manner I tear off a wisp of paper, and, holding it in the blaze of my lamp, relight my cigar. It does not burn so easily, perhaps as at first. It wants warming before it will catch, but presently it is in a broad, full glow that throws light into the corners of my room. Just so, thought I, the love of youth, which succeeds the crackling blaze of boyhood, makes a broader flame, though it may not be so easily kindled. A mere dainty step, or a curling lock, or a soft blue eye, are not enough. But in her, who has quickened the new blaze, there is a blending of all these, with a certain sweetness of soul, that finds expression in whatever feature or motion you look upon. Her charms steal over you gently, and almost imperceptibly. You think that she is a pleasant companion, nothing more. And you find the opinion strongly confirmed, day by day so well confirmed indeed that you begin to wonder why it is that she is such a delightful companion it cannot be her eye for you have seen eyes almost as pretty as nelly's nor can it be her mouth though nelly's mouth is certainly very sweet and you keep studying what on earth it can be that makes you so earnest to be near her or to listen to her voice the study is pleasant you do not know any study that is more so or which you accomplish with less mental fatigue upon a sudden some fine day when the air is balmy and the recollection of nelly's voice and manner more balmy still you wonder if you are in love when a man has such a wonder he is either very near love or he is very far away from it it is a wonder that is either suggested by his hope or by that entanglement of feeling which blunts all his perceptions but if not in love you have at least a strong fancy so strong that you tell your friends carelessly that she is a nice girl nay a beautiful girl and if your education has been bad you strengthen the epithet on your own tongue with a very wicked expletive of which the mildest form would be deuced fine girl presently however you get beyond this and your companionship and your wonder relapse into a constant quiet habit of unmistakable love not impulsive quick and fiery like the first but mature and calm it is as if it were born with your soul and the recognition of it was rather an old remembrance than a fresh passion it does not seek to gratify its exuberance and force with such relief as night serenades or any jacques-like meditations in the forest but it is a quiet still joy that floats on your hope into the years to come making the prospect all sunny and joyful it is a kind of oil and balm for whatever was stormy or harmful it gives a permanence to the smile of existence it does not make the sea of your life turbulent with high emotions as if a strong wind were blowing but it is as if an aphrodite had broken on the surface AND THE RIPPLES WERE SPREADING WITH A SWEET, LOW SOUND, AND WIDENING FAR OUT TO THE VERY SHORES OF TIME. THERE IS NO NEED NOW, AS WITH THE BOY, TO BOLSTER UP YOUR FEELINGS WITH EXTRAVAGANT VOWS. EVEN SHOULD YOU TRY THIS IN HER PRESENCE, THE WORDS ARE LACKING TO PUT SUCH VOWS IN. SO SOON AS YOU REACH THEM, THEY FAIL YOU, AND THE OATH ONLY QUIVERS ON THE LIP, OR TELLS ITS STORY BY A PRESSURE OF THE FINGERS you wear a brusque pleasant air with your acquaintances and hint with a sly look at possible changes in your circumstances of an evening you are kind to the most unattractive of the wallflowers, if only your nelly is away and you have a sudden charity for street-beggars with pale children you catch yourself taking a step in one of the new polkas upon a country walk and wonder immensely at the number of bright days which succeed each other without leaving a single stormy gap for your old melancholy moods even the chambermaids at your hotel never did their duty one-half so well and as for your man tom he has become a perfect pattern of a fellow my cigar is in a fine glow but it has gone out once and it may go out again you begin to talk of marriage but some obstinate papa or guardian uncle thinks that it will never do That it is quite too soon, or that Nellie is a mere girl, or some of your wild oats, quite forgotten by yourself, shoot up in a vision of a staid mamma and throw a very damp shadow on your character, or the old lady has an ambition of another sort, which you, a simple, earnest, plodding bachelor, can never gratify, being of only passable appearance, and unschooled in the fashions of the world you will be eternally rubbing the elbows of the old lady's pride all this will be strangely afflicting to one who has been living for quite a number of weeks or months in a pleasant dreamland where there were no five per cents or reputations but only a very full and delirious flow of feeling what care you for any position except a position near the being that you love what wealth do you prize except a wealth of heart that shall never know diminution, or for reputation, except that of truth and of honour? How hard it would break upon these pleasant idealities, to have a weazened-faced old guardian, set his arm in yours, and tell you how tenderly he has at heart the happiness of his niece, and reason with you about your very small and sparse dividends, and your limited business, and caution you, for he has a lively regard for your interests, about continuing your addresses the kind old curmudgeon your man tom has grown suddenly a very stupid fellow and all your charity for withered wallflowers is gone perhaps in your wrath the suspicion comes over you that she too wishes you were something higher or more famous or richer or anything but what you are a very dangerous suspicion for no man with any true nobility of soul can ever make his heart the slave of another's condescension. But no, you will not, you cannot believe this of Nellie. That face of hers is too mild and gracious, and her manner, as she takes your hand, after your heart is made sad, and turns away those rich blue eyes, shadowed more deeply than ever by the long and moistened fringe, and the exquisite softness and meaning of the pressure of those little fingers, and the low half-sob, and the heaving of that bosom in its struggles between love and duty, all forbid. Nellie, you could swear, is tenderly indulgent, like the fond creature that she is, toward all your shortcomings, and would not barter your strong love and your honest heart for the greatest magnate in the land. What a spur to effort is the confiding love of a true-hearted woman! THAT LAST FOND LOOK OF HERS, HOPEFUL AND ENCOURAGING, HAS MORE POWER WITHIN IT TO NERVE YOUR SOUL TO HIGH DEEDS THAN ALL THE ADMONITIONS OF ALL YOUR TUTORS. YOUR HEART, BEATING LARGE WITH HOPE, QUICKENS THE FLOW UPON THE BRAIN, AND YOU MAKE WILD VOWS TO WIN GREATNESS. BUT ALAS, THIS IS A GREAT WORLD, VERY FULL AND VERY ROUGH. ALL UPHILL WORK WHEN WE WOULD DO, ALL DOWNHILL WHEN WE SUFFER hard withering toil can only achieve a name and long days and months and years must be passed in the chase of that bubble reputation which when once grasped breaks in your eager clutch into a hundred lesser bubbles that soar above you still a clandestine meeting from time to time and a note or two tenderly written keep up the blaze in your heart but presently the lynx-eyed old guardian so tender, of your interests and hers, forbids even this irregular and unsatisfying correspondence. Now you can feed yourself only on stray glimpses of her figure, as full of sprightliness and grace as ever, and that beaming face, you are half-sorry to see from time to time, still beautiful. You struggle with your moods of melancholy, and wear bright looks yourself, bright to her and very bright to the eye of the old curmudgeon who has snatched your heart away it will never do to show your weakness to a man at length on some pleasant morning you learn that she is gone too far away to be seen too closely guarded to be reached for a while you throw down your books and abandon your toil and despair thinking very bitter thoughts and making very helpless resolves My cigar is still burning, but it will require constant and strong respiration to keep it in a glow. A letter or two, dispatched at random, relieve the excess of your fever, until, with practice, these random letters have even less heat in them than the heat of your study or of your business. Grief, thank God, is not so progressive or so cumulative as joy. For a time, there is a pleasure in the mood with which you recall your broken hopes, and with which you selfishly link hers to the shattered wreck. But absence and ignorance tame the point of your woe. You call up the image of Nelly, adorning other and distant scenes. You see the tearful smile give place to a blithesome cheer, and the thought of you that shaded her fair face, so long, fades under the sunshine of gaiety, or, at best, It only seems to cross that white forehead, like a playful shadow that a fleecy cloud-remnant will fling upon a sunny lawn. As for you, the world, with its whirl and roar, is deafening the sweet, distant notes that come up through old choked channels of the affections. Life is calling for earnestness, and not for regrets. So the months and the years slip by, your bachelor habit grows easy and light with wearing you have mourned enough to smile at the violent mournings of others, and you have enjoyed enough to sigh over their little eddies of delight. Dark shades and delicious streaks of crimson and gold colour lie upon your life. Your heart, with all its weight of ashes, can yet sparkle at the sound of a fairy step, and your face can yet open into a round of joyous smiles that are almost hopes, in the presence of some bright-eyed girl. But amid this, there will float over you from time to time a midnight trance, in which you will hear again with a thirsty ear the witching melody of the days that are gone, and you will wake from it with a shudder into the cold resolves of your lonely and manly life. But the shudder passes as easy as night from morning. Tearful regrets and memories that touch to the quick are dull weapons to break through the panoply of your seared, eager, and ambitious manhood. They only venture out like timid, white-winged flies when night is come, and at the first glimpse of the dawn they shrivel up and lie without a flutter in some corner of your soul. And when, years after, you learn that she has returned, a woman, there is a slight glow, but no tumultuous bound of the heart. Life and time have worried you down like a spent hound. THE WORLD HAS GIVEN YOU A HABIT OF EASY AND UNMEANING SMILES. YOU HALF ACCUSE YOURSELF OF INGRATITUDE AND FORGETFULNESS. BUT THE ACCUSATION DOES NOT OPPRESS YOU. IT DOES NOT EVEN DISTRACT YOUR ATTENTION FROM THE MORNING JOURNAL. YOU CANNOT WORK YOURSELF INTO A RESPECTABLE DEGREE OF INDIGNATION AGAINST THE OLD GENTLEMAN, HER GUARDIAN. YOU SIGH, POOR THING, AND IN A VERY FLASHY WAISTCOAT YOU VENTURE A MORNING CALL she meets you kindly a comely matronly dame in gingham with her curls all gathered under a high-topped comb and she presents to you two little boys in smart crimson jackets dressed up with braid and you dine with madam, a family party and the weazened-faced old gentleman meets you with a most pleasant shake of the hand hints that you were among his niece's earliest friends and hopes that you are getting on well capitally well and the boys toddle in at dessert dick to get a plum from your own dish tom to be kissed by his rosy-faced papa in short you are made perfectly at home and you sit over your wine for an hour in a cosy smoke with the gentlemanly uncle and with the very courteous husband of your second flame it is all very jovial at the table for good wine is, I find, a great strengthener of the bachelor heart. But afterward, when night has fairly set in, and the blaze of your fire goes flickering over your lonely quarters, you heave a deep sigh, and as your thought runs back to the perfidious Louise, and calls up the married and matronly Nellie, you sob over that poor dumb heart within you, which craves so madly a free and joyous utterance and as you lean over with your forehead in your hands, and your eyes fall upon the old hound slumbering on the rug, the tears start, and you wish that you had married years ago, and that you too had your pair of prattling boys to drive away the loneliness of your solitary hearthstone. My cigar would not go, it was fairly out, but, with true bachelor obstinacy, I vowed that I would light again. End of Third Reverie, Part Two